0: It's just such an incredible, like, pleasure and blessing to be here with you here at Waypoint this morning. Um, I really do feel like, like I'm, I'm living the life of the Apostle Paul when, when at the beginning of his letters, he's just, he's going on and on about how, how thankful he is for the fellow saints in the churches of Philippi or Corinthians or, or anywhere, like being able to be here with you guys, um, that, uh, Just so thankful for people like Bree who, uh, who let us know that you guys might be interested in partnering, that you guys had a heart for missions and then being able to talk with Seth and the other guys and say like, wow, um, this is a church that, that just wants to see Christ proclaimed. They want to worship Jesus and, and they want to take the gospel to places um, that it's not yet or where, where Christ isn't worshiped. And so it's just such a wonderful blessing to be welcomed by you guys this morning and, and a great pleasure to be able to, to preach the word of God this morning. So I just want to start by by saying thank you. Um, and so uh, I'll, I'll, I'll move on a little bit. Um, the title of my sermon is uh, Jesus is the Truth. That's pretty obvious. And uh, I'm going to get into that a little bit. Um, but uh let's start off um with a quick question um how many people in here know who this man is yeah um this is yeah and for those of you that don't uh this is stephen hawking he's a pretty well known physicist um unfortunately he passed away um just this last year but he was a brilliant man by all accounts he made enormous breakthroughs in the science of black holes and he did quite a bit of theorizing on um, the origins of the universe. Um, and so a couple weeks ago, I finally sat down and watched the award-winning movie uh, about Stephen Hawking called The Theory of Everything. I had wanted to watch this movie um, since about four years ago when it actually had originally came out, but I'm incredibly cheap, so I just waited till it was for free on Amazon Prime Video. And so that's why I finally got to watch it. Um, and, uh, and as I watched it, uh, it was it was a great movie, but it wasn't quite what I was hoping for. I was uh, hoping, uh, since I'm a science nerd, to, that it was going to give me a little bit more of the details of his professional life and show me what he thought about black holes and dark matter and, uh, and all of those types of things, all the cosmos. But uh, as you probably would guess, a popular award-winning movie isn't going to necessarily be about his work life. It was much more about his personal life. And, uh, and it, was, it was an interesting story. It was about his atheism. It was about him falling in love. It was about his diagnosis with ALS and getting married and having kids and getting divorced and getting remarried. Um, anyways, I, I bring up this man and the film um, to ask a few questions. Do you believe that you have a more consistent worldview than this certified genius? Are you confident that you have the answers to questions that this man didn't? Are you willing to say that this man who spent his entire life in pursuit of truth actually actively suppressed it? I want to tell you, everyone who is a Christian in this room, that you sh- can and you should be confident in your understanding of the world. And proving it is much simpler than quantum physics or our understanding of black holes. And if you're not a Christian, or maybe you're on the fence this morning, I want to show you that you have some major work to do in explaining the way that you live, what you value, and why you care. Let's, uh, let's take a little bit of time to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you again so much for the blessing of being here at waypoints in Clovis. I thank you for the blessing of your word. I thank you for the blessing of song and fellowship. And Lord, I just pray that, um, that you would be with me this morning, that your spirit um, would help me to, uh, to preach your word, Lord, that you would be glorified and that we would be blessed by, uh, by your word of God. And uh, just lead us in this time. And, um, And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Um, So our text for this morning is going to be in Romans 1, verses 16 through 25. I'll have it up here on the screen. Um, This is going to be the ESV. Um, I'm not sure which Bible version you guys use, but you can either follow along the screen or in your own Bibles. And so we start in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel... For it is the power of salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in in their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Forgive me, I normally like to follow the order of the argument as the author of the scripture wrote it. Um, But this morning, I really want to focus on the second part of the scripture before we go back to the first few verses. Now, what Paul is saying here in verses 18 and on is that God has made himself obvious in creation and that mankind intrinsically knows that he exists and he is divine and that he is eternally powerful. Yet every human in their sinful condition actively suppresses their knowledge of God and chooses rather to believe a lie and worship created things rather than the creator. But this makes sense, doesn't it? This is exactly what we believe. That's what we believe about reality. We believe that God actually created everything that exists out of absolutely nothing. Um, ex nihilo. From the, and he created from the overflow of love within the relationship of the three persons of the Trinity. And that human beings were made as the capstone of creation to be the image bearers of God himself. Then... As Genesis 3 tells us, our first parents Adam and Eve did, as verse 25 points to, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped the creature, creature rather than the Creator. Thus, sin and brokenness and death entered into the world. This is the backdrop for all of our existence. This is the true way that reality is, and. Everything that we can see fits into this picture. That means that the way that stars burn, the way planets orbit, and the way plants and animals live, and the reasons people love and seek to end suffering and fight for human rights and enjoy music, that these things all only ultimately make sense when they are viewed through the lens of the truth found in Scripture. All of creation is singing the wonders of the creator. And Paul tells us here that mankind is so committed to wickedness that apart from the grace of Jesus, we deny what we intrinsically know and can clearly perceive to justify our own idolatry. This means that unbelievers, you and me before our conversion, know that God exists, but they take active steps to reject that knowledge so that they can worship created things such as themselves or sex or money or power, etc. Yet they live in the world that God created and therefore have to borrow from the true biblical worldview in order to survive. One of the basic beliefs that everyone has, to include our our friend Dr. Hawking, is that uh, the universe works in a consistent and logical way. That means that from one moment to the next there's not going to be a sudden change um, in the laws of physics and science and and this means that that we can count on the data that we observe to be able to tell us about the past um, and to be able to tell us about the future um, this is a fundamental tenet of science without it we couldn't make any observations and uh, none of the conclusion that conclusions that we reach through science would be useful at all. Um, We wouldn't be able to wake up in the morning and count on gravity holding us down to the ground. Um, And all of this is presupposed by the fact that for the universe to be consistent and logical, that the cause of the universe had to intend some form of consistency and logic. Now, for an example that isn't so... Metaphysical and theoretical. Um, let's let's talk about something a little bit more ground level, and uh, and this is really where I want everyone to listen. Is um, is that everyone that you are going to meet holds to a few basic ideas. One is that that life is more valuable than non-life, and they're probably going to to believe in some form of universal morals, even though they might not call it that. Even the most postmodern, atheistic, materialistic um, person who claims that all truth is relative, that there is no God, and that the only reality is what we can materially sense is going to hold to these ideas, that life is more valuable than non-life, and that there are some form of universal morals. A simple test would be to, to ask them if they prefer to be alive or dead. Most people are going to say, I prefer to be alive. But um, but if you go to a materialistic universe, that doesn't make any sense. Because in a materialistic universe, there's no value system. And a living human being is just a highly organized conglomeration of molecules and cells. Um, or of, as I've heard, it's put by some, a a fizzing meat sack. <laughs> um, and maybe even a more close-to-home example is that uh, most people are going to take s- to some sort of human rights cause or like gender equality or immigration rights or the ending of world hunger or world peace or global warming or animal rights, abortion rights, transgender and homosexual rights. I mean, it's all out there. But what no worldview outside of the Christian worldview especially the postmodern atheistic material worldview, can account for is why. Why life instead of death? Why equality? Why happiness instead of suffering? Why not the Darwinian survival of the fittest? If I want it and I can take it, then I should go get it, right? Because asteroids and planets, they don't care. Bacteria doesn't care. The animal kingdom doesn't care. So why should we? The postmodern mind says that all truth is relative. But on those grounds, we can't condemn the Holocaust. We can't condemn Stalin's Russia. We can't condemn ISIS. And I'm betting that most people are going to have qualms about those things. And if not, those are going to be the people that we have in prison or in psych wards. Um, the only consistent explanation that I can find is that God created man and has given human beings intrinsic value because they bear his image. And that we all have a sense of that value in ourselves and others. And that though the world suppresses this knowledge, it cannot survive without it. The world espouses the values while denying the source of that value god so that they can make their own rules about how about how it should be used and expressed you christian can walk in confidence in the truth that is revealed in your bible even though there are things in there that have not yet been attested to by science each one of your unbelieving friends and neighbors believes in things that can't be explained by science or philosophy either But unlike ours, our beliefs, their beliefs just run completely counter to what they say they believe. For me, this was a paradigm shift in how I saw the work of defending my faith, what what some call apologetics. No longer do I feel like I have to be on the defense, that I have to have all the answers for the reliability of scripture and the age of the earth and the fossil record and the viciousness that we see in the book of Joshua. I'm not saying that we shouldn't know the answers to these things. We definitely should dive deep in our Bibles and consider and care about those things. But now I can also play offense. I can can go to them and and point out the gaping holes in their own worldview and use everyday things like politics or tragedy or personal conflict to get under the surface of what they're saying and what they value to tease out their need for Jesus. If you remember in Acts 17, this is what Paul does when he goes to Athens. He points out that they have idols all over the city and that they have one idol over in the corner that is to this unknown God. And he shows them and he tells them that that unknown God that you don't have named, that is actually the true creator God. And then he goes on to quote all their own philosophers to tell them that their own wisdom is pointing to something more than the pantheon of gods that they're currently worshiping. So now, how does the suppression of the knowledge of God apply to you and me who sit in this building every Sunday and sing out our professions of faith to our God. For us, for the believer, our flesh, though it has been crucified with Christ, still wages a war with the Spirit. It wages this war even though it's been put to death like some sort of freakish undead zombie. Like this, our flesh still tries to pull us back into the days when we deny what is plainly true. Like the Israelites in the book of Exodus, who had just been freed from slavery in Egypt by God, through incredible miracles, yet a few days later, we find them grumbling about how mean God is, and they're reminiscing about the good old days back in Egypt where they were treated so nicely and their bellies were so full all the time. Our flesh is just as crazy. It deceives us like this. It makes us think that the salvation that we have in being made a child of God is somehow not as fulfilling as the days when we lived a lie, as the days when we suffered under, under the cruel taskmaster of sin. For me, a central struggle in this type of battle has been with sexual lust, specifically with pornography. I started looking at pornography um, at what is apparently the common age of 13. Um, And even though I knew it was wrong, according to my Christian upbringing and my, my young faith at the time, I quickly fell into a trap that you might call an addiction. I would feel the temptation and all of its promises of thrill and satisfaction and happiness. So I would give in, but then almost immediately, I would be drowned in condemnation, and I would be isolated and vulnerable and ashamed of what I had done. And then, being so ashamed of my own failure, I would keep it a secret, but then inevitably, Days or weeks or months later, that same temptation would come back knocking at the door and the vicious cycle would start all over again. There were periods of time where I could go months or even years without entering back into this cycle. Like when I met my wife and we got married. It was over a year um, into our marriage before this temptation reared its ugly head again. By that time, I had thought that I was free of that struggle, but I wasn't free and I was incredibly vulnerable. And and at the time that I thought that that I was going to be able to manage this little vice and be able to keep it a secret. But as you can see what is obvious, there was no handling this little vice. And I fell right back into that vicious cycle of condemnation and disbelief and secretness. Only this time there was additional condemnation because not only did I know it was wrong, but now I was having to betray and keep secrets from my wife. It was a terrible time in my life and there was a lot of problems. But God was gracious enough in that season to bring that struggle into the light. And even if I was too much of a coward to do it myself, he did it. He brought it into the light and both me and my wife were able to battle it in the light of day with the help of our Christian community. I'm so, I'm so thankful to God that for the past several years, the active struggle in the battle with lust has been enormously reduced. I've been able to resist temptation by the power of the Spirit but I would be a fool right now to let my guard down or remove the accountability of my Christian brothers. You see what I was doing back then when I would give into the temptation to look at pornography. I was actively choosing to disbelieve in a holy God that had designed the proper way for his creation to work. I chose rather to believe convinced by my own sinful urges that I was God and that I was worthy of determining right and wrong. I chose at that time to disbelieve that the people in the stuff that I was looking at were made in the image of God and had God-given value. And I chose rather to believe that they were objects for my own gratification. I chose not to honor God, but rather to worship a created image, myself. And you, when you fall into sin, maybe you're like me and you, you lose the battle with temptation and you, you fall lustfully or maybe, maybe some of you in this room drink too much or maybe you're less than generous with your money or maybe you get angry or you're harsh or you're prideful or maybe you're in the other direction and you're anxious and you're fearful and you're hopeless. These are just some of the ways that we show that we don't believe God is who he says he is, and we don't believe that we are who he says that we are. This is Paul's argument later in Romans 6 and other places when he addresses the question of continued sin in the Christian life. He says, by no means. He's saying that it doesn't make any logical sense that a Christian who would... That a Christian would continue in sin. When we sin, it's a betrayal of what we profess to be true. And we have to be reminded constantly in scripture, in prayer, in Bible teaching, and in Christian fellowship that to, to remember the glory that we've inherited and the foolishness that it is to submit ourselves once again to that sin that promises so much and yet pays its wages only in death. Hmm. Now to go back to the first part of our text from this morning, Um, Romans 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation to everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Christians, to you and me, these verses are tender and precious. The world proclaims that we should be ashamed of our belief in the gospel, that we should hide our dependence on the unexplainable grace of God, that we should keep our faith a secret, and, and that our hope lies solely in the Lord Jesus, who though he created the entire world and every human being in it, does not destroy us in his wrath when we betray him, but rather in love, he took that wrath upon himself and became the perfect spotless lamb who was slain in our place. And because he is was the very definition of that perfect spotless lamb... Instead of being destroyed by death, he proclaimed victory over death and was raised from the dead as a conqueror on the third day and is now seated at the right hand of God on the majesty on high to having returned fully to the glory that he had since before the creation of the world. And you and I who have believed this gospel and place our faith in Christ alone have been united to him. And we have been given eternal life as sons and daughters of the Almighty God. But we can't be ashamed because if we would rather rely on our own strength than than on the power of salvation to be found in the gospel, then we would be right alongside every sinner who is in the wrath of the Holy God. So do not be ashamed, but boast in the God of your salvation. And when you are tempted to sin, remember that you are no longer a slave to that sin. But you've been set free, and you no longer have to be deceived. And when you do sin, remember that there is grace to be found in Christ. Not cheap grace that can be abused, but costly grace that was purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul means when he says, that the righteous shall live by faith. Now let's turn our attention to our friends and neighbors and the unbelievers in Spain and all over the world who are facing the wrath of God right now for their unbelief and rebellion. This passage, along with the entirety of Scripture, teaches that even though man has an innate sense of God, no human being is ever going to come to a saving faith in the Lord Jesus out of their own good sense. Their wills and their hearts are too distorted by sin. And the gospel itself defies all reason that that God himself would take our place. So, so even though they might be able to figure out that they are somehow at odds with the creator of the universe they're never going to know how to be reconciled. As we can see demonstrated in every single religion of the world who tries to accomplish this from the wrong direction. And so for us, the only way to be saved, the only way for anyone to be saved, is found in Romans 10, verses 12 through 15. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they going to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they going to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. God has ordained that we participate, that we be the active mouthpieces in order for our friends, for our neighbors, and for the people of Spain to be able to be set free For them to be set free, they have to hear the good news. And it's our job, mine and yours and every Christian who is not ashamed of the gospel, but rather glories in this incredible good news. It's our job to proclaim it to them and to send people to proclaim it to them and to be the ones who are sent to proclaim it to them. Now, towards the end of that movie that I mentioned earlier, Stephen Hawking said, um, said this quote when, uh, when somebody asked him what, uh, what his philosophy of life was that helped him to, to battle with ALS. And he says this, It is clear that we are just an advanced breed of primates. On a minor planet orbiting around a very average star in the outer suburb of one among a hundred billion galaxies. But ever since the dawn of civilization, people have craved for an understanding of the underlying order of the world. There ought to be something very special about the boundary condition of the universe and what can be more special than there is no boundary. And there should be no boundary to human endeavor, We are all different. However bad life may seem, there is always something you can do and succeed at. While there is life, there is hope. Isn't it crazy that this man talks about hope and success and human endeavor after prefacing it all in a way that makes everything that he said irrelevant. This is insanity. This is the insanity that sin drives mankind to. And as we saw, the only solution is the righteousness of God revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In conclusion, the Bible gives us the only accurate explanation of reality. Unbelievers aren't ignorant of God, but rather they know God. It's just that they actively suppress that knowledge. This means that for them to live in the real world, they have to borrow from the biblical worldview. And we can use this apologetically. This active denial of God is still what plagues you and me as believers in the battle with the flesh. And the only solution is that we believe the gospel ourselves and that we preach the gospel to a world in denial. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to believe that is the man who came to you in the gospel and said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That's, That's where we stand today. We stand as men and women who struggle with the flesh, who are awaiting your return when you are going to, to eliminate that struggle, when you are going to completely overcome it, and we are no longer going to have to battle with sin. But God, right now, we seek to submit ourselves completely to your spirit, that our lives would be ruled by you, that, uh, that we would no longer um, live as those who, who trust in this world as people who have been deceived but people who can clearly see the light of what you are of who you are and what you have made and who you have declared us to be Lord I just pray that you would help us to do that by your spirit and and God we pray that you would help us to take this gospel this beautiful gospel the only true gospel About your salvation, about what you have done in this world. Pray that you would help us to take it to our friends, help us to take it to our neighbors, help us to take it to the people in Spain and to the people all over the world who are lost without it, who don't have actual hope, who can talk about hope and value and love, but they don't, they don't even know what those words mean. So Lord, would you, would you convict us? Would you help us to see that every human being is in, is facing your wrath and that it's our job to take that, your gospel to them, to participate? Lord, we love you and we want to glorify you in everything that we do. Help us to be humble before you. And, uh, and once again, just thank you so much for the time that we have together this morning. I pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.